Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC Sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. For Inside Carolina, I'm Taylor Vipolis, and you're here listening to this podcast, which is a part of the Inside Carolina Podcast Network. So first off, thank you for joining us today. Be sure to subscribe and leave a five-star rating and review It hardly takes any time, but we as a staff here at Inside Carolina appreciate it greatly if you support us. And speaking of support, we want to support the people that support us. So that's why I'm here to remind everybody about Johnny T-Shirt. Johnny T-Shirt is the go-to shop for all things Carolina apparel. Locally and alumni owned and operated, they've got everything you could possibly need. They've got your football jerseys. They've got the hats. They've got the football T-Shirts. And they've also got the great prices and the best customer service around in Chapel Hill. Visit them on Franklin Street or go online at johnnytshirt.com. And don't forget, Inside Carolina premium subscribers, save 10% off your orders. All right, we've got a loaded podcast today because joining me, as always, we've got my guys, Mike Ingersoll and EJ Wilson, former Tar Heel Letterman. Guys, it was a heartbreaking loss for Carolina. They lose to Florida State 31-28, to almost completing the biggest comeback in school history. First time we're talking about a loss this season. So, uh, Mike, what were your biggest takeaways from this game? Um, well, I, I, <laughs> uh, it's, it, I'm going to do my best tonight to not make this a doom and gloom podcast. Um, but it's not – Good. I, I think Carolina dropped today to 14th in the rankings. Is that right? Yeah, nice. Yep, that's correct. I think that's probably where they need to be um, based on where we, the way we've been playing so far this year. Um, the things that I've seen, some of the competition we've played. I, I don't think that we were necessarily ready for the stage. And that's disappointing. Um, I think I have – Never seen situational mismanagement the way that I saw situational mismanagement last night. And I don't say that flippantly. That's not something I'm just saying to, to piss off fans and rile up the, the message boards. Um, I think the, the coaching staff, which on the whole I think is an exceptional staff, I think a few of them shut down their leg last night. Excuse the language. Um, I think the players down their leg on the last drive. Uh, But up until that point, I feel like the players weren't put in a position necessarily to succeed. Um, When they did put them, when they were put in that position towards the end, uh, in spite of what seemed like everyone's best efforts to make sure they wouldn't be in that position, they had the opportunity to do what they needed to do. And some key players just didn't. And I think that's indicative of the fact that we just weren't ready for the stage. And Florida State came out on a mission, and they planned on bullying Carolina. If Carolina is going to be a top 10 program, that's what you're going to get every Saturday. 
and they got to be ready for it. And they just weren't ready for it. And that's fine because I think the biggest takeaway I got from this game is that I would be shocked if this doesn't light a fire under those, under that staff and light a fire under those players for the rest of the season, the same way that the South Carolina game did. Uh, I think that the, well, I used to refer to the 2015 South Carolina game as the worst loss in UNC football history. Uh, Cause we rattled off 11 straight after that took Clemson to the wire in the AC championship game. And if we'd gone 12 and zero, even with the AC championship game lost, we might've still found ourselves in the playoff. That's a reality. That's a reality that that team unfortunately has to live with. And it's because they beat themselves against a bad South Carolina team. We beat ourselves against a bad Florida state team. This I am certain is the worst loss in Carolina football history. Um, it has now surpassed that South Carolina game. Again, it's not doom and gloom. The sky's not falling. I think actually things are going to look pretty bright from here on out, but that was extremely disappointing. What I saw last night, EJ, what about you? What were your biggest takeaways? My biggest takeaways was that it was more of the same. I mean, I, I think that we kind of played the same way that we played all season. We were just playing against better athletes. And when I say we've been playing the same way we've been playing all season, it's disappointing because the same thing seemed to keep giving us trouble. A quarterback that can run the ball. We gave up 100 yards rushing to a quarterback yet again, which just, just seems to be something that we can't handle. We can't handle a quarterback who's able to move. Th- think about last night when they moved the pocket. That's when they got their big plays. I mean, and, and big plays are what killed us. That's another thing that I saw that something that's constantly been plaguing our defense, the big plays. You think about this. This guy has eight completions, but he has 191 yards passing. I mean, th- think about that now. Th- think about that. Like, that's that's that, that's not good. That, so I can, I'm not going to sit here and say, we played a bad game defensively because, I mean, you take away eight plays and, I mean, so, some of those bigger plays, and they don't they, they don't have the amount of points that they have. The defense gave up 24 points, none of those points in the second half. At the end of the day, they put us in a position to win, but this could have been a dominating defensive performance if it wasn't for those big plays, if it wasn't for the, our, our ability to not be able to stop a running quarterback or a moving pocket or the missed tackles. I mean, the first the first drive of the game, I mean, there there was – we missed a sack for a loss. I mean, it could have turned into a big game, and we ended up stopping them because we were getting good pressure on them initially. But it's the same thing, the same song we're singing. I remember Mike asked me a question last week, like, when does it become an issue? When when does tackling become a coaching issue or a personal player issue? I mean, it's something that we've been talking about on podcasts for year in, year out, no matter what the coaching is in, no matter what the what, what players are in there. And, I mean, I, I really just don't know what to make of it. I honestly think minus – giving up those big plays if those big plays didn't happen then this is a great defensive performance but if ifs and buts were candies and nuts then we'd all have a merry christmas so i mean that's that, that's really my <laughs> takeaway it's it's just the same old, old things and, and if we clean those things up i mean we had another i think dominating performance from uh Bo havoc i'm glad he was back in the lineup that showed um don chapman he really stood out because i mean that guy is either going to make a big play or he's going to kind of look bad i mean there's times where he's missing tackles he's missing coverages but there's also the touchdown saving tackle he had on when had on the play where they moved the pocket we thought they were going to score and his effort pure effort saved the touchdown and we ended up stopping him on that drive so i mean there, there are a lot of takeaways i just we just need to clean up some of these things and and i think we'll be okay moving forward Yeah, both of you hit on a lot of the points that I would bring up and kind of going along what you said, Mike, the title to my post-game video for this game was Lights Too Bright because this just felt like a team that isn't ready to compete at the national level, 
with the with the Clemsons where they could bring it every week. They're it's not a team that's good enough to take a, a half off, and um, they're somewhere between not ready to compete at that national level and a top fifteen team, which. For this team, that's not the worst spot to be because you're still only in year two under Mac Brown, and you're only a two years removed from winning five games in uh, yeah. two seasons. So it it is encouraging that this team has kind of raised the standard for Carolina football, but it's also discouraging because Carolina brought probably its D game um, between coaches and players, and they still had a chance to win on the last possession. So I think it. this is a game that definitely hurts to lose if you're Carolina. Um, but if you're trying to look from a glass half full perspective, you, you were right there. Um, the coaches put you in a lot of bad spots all night. You were still had a chance to win the game ultimately at the end of the game. Um, but also the biggest takeaway that nobody really mentioned kind of it was just kind of the overall theme of the game too. The special teams for this Carolina team, they're awful. You had two, yeah. <laughs> you had two block punts. Don't miss words, Taylor. <laughs> you had I mean, two bad. block punts yesterday. You've seen it all year. It's, it's just a growing list of miscues every week, whether it's drop punts, whether it's running into the punter, whether it's not knowing what to do on fair catches on kickoffs, whether it's, two punts getting blocked like one is bad two is just getting out coached and putting an already deep uh, an already spotty defense just in horrible situations and the the bar you guys know this from playing football the bar for special teams is so low it's just do your job get off the field don't lose us the game and right now carolina's special teams they can't even do that and it's crazy that you have a special teams coordinator last year. He gets replaced, and the issues are just as bad, if not worse, a year later. So it's definitely something that I'm going to keep an eye on for Carolina moving forward. But, um, EJ, when it comes to the defense, you kind of mentioned that they did have, outside of a couple plays, they they did have an outside of tackling too um, because they sure did miss a lot of tackles. But – but outside of playing defense. <laughs> yeah. I mean they, they had a great second half. They had a couple they great they had they a couple did. great goal line stands that kept Carolina in this game. I didn't think this defense had enough stops in them to make it a game again, but you know, surprisingly they did. But when it comes to the defense, EJ, um, my question for you would be how much more can we really expect from this unit with the current personnel? Because in, in my post-game video, I kind of compared it to um, Game of Thrones where Hodor is holding the door back from the White Walkers. And, mm-hmm. you know, you know the White Walkers are eventually going to get through and you know teams are eventually going to score on this Carolina defense. But you just need the offense to build that gap where you're not trying to play from behind all the time. So I guess, you know, how much can we really expect from this Carolina defense with the current personnel that they have? <sighs> I, I really don't know what more we can expect until we find out sticking with the, the Game of Thrones motif, until we find our Arya Stark. I mean, and it seems like we have a, a few players that are that are capable of that uh, in, all, in all seriousness. But, I mean, like I said earlier, like, 
these guys didn't they, – they went out there and, yeah, they made a few mistakes, but you take away some of those big plays where the pocket's moving, where there's obviously an issue that we've had all season that's been majorly exposed in this game. If you take away those plays, I mean, this is a pretty good team. Take away some of the missed tackles and, and some of the mental mistakes. These are all things that can be worked on. I don't know how they fix the, the, the tackling stuff because, I mean, that's just an issue which I, I, I don't understand. But missing a few coverage, giving up some big plays, yeah, I get. But, I mean – I think I think this is kind of being blown out of proportion when you look at the amount of points that that are on the scoreboard. I mean, one of seven of those points is a pick six, and you think about it, they they gave up twenty four points in the first half. Yeah, but look at the situations that were put in. I mean, they like we were just you were just well, talking first, about. Yeah, the, the first touchdown they're on the seventeen yard line or whatever exactly. on the block exactly. punt. Yeah. On a black punt, which exactly. is a, which is a, which is a virtual guarantee. EJ, you remember this from Butch? Oh, black yeah. kick is a virtual guarantee to lose the game. I mean, exactly. this, this, the, the numbers don't lie. Um, you know, you guys hear me hear us talk about if you win two out of three phases, you have an eight out of ten chance of winning the game typically. If you block a kick, it's almost certain you're going to lose the game. Um, mm-hmm. Or if you have a kick block, if you happen to be the blocking team, right, so Florida State blocks a kick, let alone two, <laughs> chances are they're winning that football game. I, I, didn't, I, I didn't feel good regardless of any comeback last night. I never felt comfortable in the second half. I knew that game was a loss the first time they blocked the kick. And when they blocked the second one, it was nail in the coffin as far as I was concerned. Yeah. And that's just kind of how it felt. I mean, it did. I really wish I was sitting there thinking the whole time. I was like, how do I kind of talk about this game without trying to place too much blame on the offense? But I mean, I really do think that honestly, I really do think we were in it. Our defense put us in a position to win that game. It was, this sounds familiar, EJ. Yeah, it's, it's it's a little biased, but still. Cause, me, I mean, me, you're giving me flashbacks to 10, 11 years ago. <laughs> oh man, oh, none of us need that. Blaming the <laughs> offense, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I mean, but yeah, but I mean, I, I think our I think our current personnel is good. I just think that our playmakers, uh, Chaz, uh, Jeremiah, um, Ray. Uh, the Fox brothers, they need to step up, make plays, become leaders. And, I mean, that's one thing that I'm always harping on because leadership can, can change things. You look at us when we were there. We had the same group of guys all with the with – the, without, I guess, a few key additions. The same guys when we were three and nine that were the same guys that we were supposed to be on a national championship team in 2010. The only thing that changed is those guys came in, they had leadership, they took ownership. We cleaned up some of the sloppy things and the things that have been plaguing us. So I think that they just, they just have to clean it up. So with this current personnel, I do think that we have a defense that's good enough to contend for ACC championship. I do think that certain guys are going to have to play out of their minds if we want to do anything further than that. I mean, cause you think about it, the defense was being touted as the quote-unquote, uh, with an asterisk, I guess, best run defense in the country. And you look at – that's been our Achilles heel these last two games. I mean, we give up 100 yards to a quarterback and 100 yards to a running back. I mean, it, it's it's hard to win when you're doing that. I, I don't I don't care how well your offense is playing. It's hard to win when you're doing that. Yeah, it's at the point with uh, Carolina on defense where if you're telling me I could go up against a statue like Peyton Manning versus a below-average – running quarterback, I'm taking Peyton Manning every time. I'd rather see Peyton Manning suit up against Carolina because it seems like every time there's a running quarterback, that person's going to give them problems. Now, Carolina gave up, uh, I think it was 11 plays of over 15 yards on defense, but overall defensively, that's a performance that I think you have to take with this offense. It's just the offense really struggled. And 
Mike, I'm going to, I'm going to vent a little about the play call in here and then I'm going to let you get your, your you've, thoughts. You've been away, Taylor. You say, say all the things I want to say. So I ain't got to say them. I'm not normally one that's going to harp on the play calling because I understand how tough it is and how it normally comes down to execution. But like you had mentioned, it just seemed like the coaches didn't put this, the players in the best situations. Like the game plan obviously early was to run the ball with Michael Carter and Javante Williams, establish the run, get Florida state tired. And it, it did work in a sense that Florida state was gassed in that second half, but it also didn't work because in the first half, you're not getting any points from these drives when you're running Michael Carter and Javante Williams. And, I think Carolina would have been better off trusting Sam Howell to throw the ball downfield and kind of stretch out the defense. Um, it was just an unwillingness to go away from the game plan, and I think that's something that Carolina definitely has to address going forward. When you're not getting on the scoreboard, change something. Do, do something different to try to get different results, or else you're just going to keep doing the same thing and it, when Carolina opened up the defense in the second half, they started scoring. I don't, I don't think that was a coincidence or any kind of fluky performance. I think Carolina is an offense that's built on stretching you. So Carolina has to trust a quarterback like Sam Howell who provides that balanced attack when you don't have to just run on the backs of Javante Williams and Michael Carter as good as they are they're two of the best backs in the country for sure but when you have a quarterback like Sam Howe it's not like Carolina has you know Joe Schmo back at quarterback you have one of the best quarterbacks that's ever played for Carolina trust them trust them just a little to go out there and win you a game because it's 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 something like we kind of mentioned before when you have these toss-up games and this is a toss-up game you know no matter what the spread is or Carolina probably had like a 60-70% chance. That's basically a toss-up game. When you have a team like Florida State and you have a team like North Carolina, trust that your quarterback is better than their quarterback and he can win you games. And you have just a, a, a lot of questionable decisions. The below percentage uh, goal line fades. Um, I am, I'm a huge receiver. I always want the receivers to score touchdowns. I hate the goal line fades. You're third and three. You know it's four-down situation. Trust Javante Williams. Trust Michael Carter to just fall forward for three yards. If you can't get three yards on two plays, you have a lot bigger concerns than trying to throw the ball, especially with plays where you're only sending one wide receiver out on a route. Um, you were burning timeouts on two-point conversions. They, they, It looked like they had no idea what was going on there. And, uh, and then just running a two-minute offense with no real sense of urgency um, – they still they still have a timeout. They took a page out of Roy Williams' uh, playbook where they took a timeout. I don't know if that carries over to the next game, but thank you for letting me get that off my chest, Mike. What were your general thoughts on you know kind of where the coaches put this offense and what what went wrong with this offense? Yeah. So what they saw on film, um, and, and I'm I'm going into this understanding exactly what what Longo and the offense saw on film. They saw a they saw a Florida state defense that couldn't fight its way out of a wet paper bag. Okay. That, that defense was, was porous. All right. It's horrible. 
Um, they've been, they've been run on the entire year. Um, they got run all over by Notre Dame. They got run all over by Jacksonville state. They've been run, they got run all over by Georgia tech. They've been run all over all year long. So what Caroline wanted to do was take the, the best back combo in the country and come out and they wanted to establish the run early. Like you said, entire Florida state out, like you said, right. And drop the hammer and show them what kind of game this was going to be. The problem was we just continued to run the ball. If you go watch the first quarter, we ran the ball and 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 ran the ball. And he had 38 touchdowns last year. Throw the throw the ball. Okay. I mean, I'm sitting there losing my mind watching this game because I understand what the game plan is. And it's like you said, there was an inflexibility to 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 deviating from that game plan. You establish the run early. You hit them in the mouth. You drop the hammer. Florida State knew what the deal was, okay? The problem was you allowed a bad defense, an undisciplined defense that is extremely talented, okay? All these kids are four- and five-star recruits coming out of high school. They can all play. They're just a bad defense. You let that bad, very athletic, right, waiting-to-be-cocky defense, front-running defense, you let them get confidence, and then what they, what they start doing, they start stomping on your grave, right? They're getting stops. They're taking shots at Sam Howell. They're getting stops. They're pushing off the running backs. They're getting off the ground. They're getting stops. Then they started playing smart, and they're holding up ball carriers and eating clock, okay? So we got into those situations, and at no point did we ever just let – we never opened Sam up in the first half. Here's why I think that happened. There was an unnecessary an, – Paralysis by analysis is what we're going to call it. Sam was a Florida State commit. It's a primetime game in Tallahassee. There's fans in the stands unlike any other game in the country. Okay? Thank you, Governor DeSantis. Um, You've got the student section going to be heckling him. Sam is juiced up because he knows a lot of those kids from the recruiting trail. Okay? And a lot of them were going to be his teammates up to the 11th hour. Okay? And I think they were trying to protect Howell a little too much. They thought maybe his nerves would be a little too wound up and he wouldn't be able to do the things well that he's done well so far. They tried to protect him, their, their most valuable asset. And they didn't want him to look bad. So they ran the ball because we can, we can lean on the run game. Our running game is exceptional, okay? But we leaned on it too much. And at, and at no point did you actually let Sam get those nerves out. Then he just becomes a target back there. Because when you do allow him to start throwing the ball, now he's trying to force things. Now he's holding on to the ball too long and he's taking unnecessary hits, right? We're getting sacks. We're losing yardage. We're having negative plays, okay? And at no point did you look at the scoreboard and go, uh-oh, it's panic time. And there were several times that we needed to go, uh-oh, it's panic time. Now, how do you panic in a controlled fashion? You hop into a four-minute offense, which is – get first downs, right? Get first downs, eat up clock, open something up, okay? Or you get into your two-minute offense, which is we got to score now. They should have been in two-minute offense halfway through the second quarter for the remainder of that game. I've also never seen a no-huddle offense waste as much time as our offense does. I cannot believe how long it takes to look over to the sideline. We're not even huddling up, okay? Look over to the sideline, get the play, line up and run the play. Okay. We huddled up when I played and we ran on average 65 plays a game. This team is running on average about 65 plays a game and they're not huddling up. How is that even possible? 
I don't understand how that's possible. My last concern, I mentioned situational mismanagement earlier. Mac Brown did a phenomenal job when he was out doing color commentary, doing TV between Texas and Chapel Hill. He did a phenomenal job of figuring out what are the new trends in college football. If I get back into coaching, what do I need to do in order to move the needle? What's my team got to look like? What type of staff do I have to put together? What type of schemes do I need? The other thing that I'm sure Mac got a little heavy handed in, okay, as all coaches are now, is analytics. And analytics tell you that in certain situations early in the game, a two-point conversion is a good idea. Under no circumstances, under conventional football wisdom, under new football wisdom, under, re, under any semblance of reality, is chasing points in early in a game ever going to work out in your favor? Perfect example. You score. We go for two. We have to call it. We have to burn a timeout. Okay, because they don't know because they're sitting there waiting to see what the defense is giving them. And Florida State's doing a better job of masking their goal line defense than we are of just getting up and running the ball and running the play. So we got to burn a timeout. You already had to burn a timeout early in the second half. All right, so you're down to two. Now you're down to one. You're going to need that timeout later. Also, kick the extra point. Take the points. You got lucky earlier chasing points where you where you converted a two point conversion. Congratulations. Stop pressing it. Take the points, take the easy points as you can get them because now that final drive, that final drive is 31 to 29 instead of 31 to 28. And all you got to do is you got to move the ball a little bit. Now you don't have to press, right, to try and get big chunk yardage. You don't have to press and panic, okay? You can actually just go into your four-minute offense. You got two and a half minutes left in the game. Go into a four-minute offense. Move the ball, get some first downs. Play the game like you have a lead. Get down to within field goal range. Get them to a 25 to 30-yard try. Kick the field goal, win the game. We're done. Game's over. And he had plenty of time to do it. Um, situational mismanagement. Final thing. Not understanding what a two-minute drill is. What, why are we running inside zone in a two-minute drill? In what world is that acceptable? Aside from the fact that we didn't get into two-minute drill until two and a half minutes left in the game and we should have been in it, a quarter and a half before that, okay? Aside from that issue, because we could have blown the doors off of them at that point. Again, this kid threw 38 touchdown passes last year. Let him throw the ball. Why are we running the ball on a two-minute drill when you absolutely have to have points right now, right? Just I had a lot of questions, and I'm same with you. I don't like questioning coaches. I don't question play calls. Typically, I understand how difficult it is, just like you said. Um, and I think Phil Longo has done a great job for the most part. Um, I have a, I have an issue when I look over and the, and, and the camera rolls over to the offensive coordinator after a pick six and he's got his hands on his head. Like he doesn't know what's going on. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. 
You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I can tell you what's going on. Every single time we flared the back out, we ran a swing pass. It's a zombie pattern, right? We just zombied the back out, and we flared the ball out. Every single time we did that, the back out the ball. Well, guess what? Florida State's got coaches too. And they told their defensive ends, if you see the back flare, you abandon your rush and you peel on the back. And that's exactly what he did. Pick six. What are your hands doing on your head? I saw it three minutes into the football game. It was going to happen. It was coming. Okay. I just, from a leadership standpoint, from, from, a, from a you're the adult on the sideline standpoint, get your hands off your head. I just, I had a, I had a problem with it. Don't show that you're panicking or don't show that you're shocked. Right. Next play, next thing up, move on, short memory, that kind of thing. Again, I think Phil Longo does a great job generally. Um, I was very disappointed in what I saw last night from a situational awareness, situational management, um, general body language standpoint. Yeah, two points that I'm going to mention before I get over to you, EJ. By the way, that's everything I got to say tonight. So I, you, you, can just, you can stick with EJ now for the rest of the night. <laughs> two points before I get back to you, EJ. I think. Carolina needs more flexibility in its game plan going forward because this is, if you want to be a top 10 team, this is kind of life as a top 10 team where every team you play sees that number next to your name and they're going to give you their best shot. So tendencies you might've saw on film, a team like Florida state with their talent, they could break all the tendencies they showed on film because just because of your ranking alone. And if, if you don't have, if Florida State comes out and their defensive line looks way better than you kind of expected, you have to have the flexibility to say, okay, let's, let's go to the guy who threw 38, 39 touchdowns last year and let him try to win us this game. And then my second point is you had mentioned uh, cutting it to nine and trying to get into field goal range late for, for the win potentially. That is a good idea if you had any faith in your kicker to make over a 35 yard field goal. And I'm not sure Carolina has that right now in, in their kicking situation. It's, it's something that I think you could take for granted really easily. Um, how much a weapon, a guy like a Barth is like a, like a Nick Weiler, just, just looking at the last two times uh, Carolina has played Florida state where it's a situation where if you have a Nick Weiler on your sideline, for, for example, on the third and nine when Carolina uh, had the, I think it was Daz Newsom on the drop third and nine, you don't have to pick up the full nine yards. You could try to get uh, seven yards, take a timeout and set up your kicker to make a 52 yard field goal, 53 yard field goal. That's if you're sending a, a Casey Barth, a Connor Barth, a Nick Weiler out to kick a 52 yard field goal, you could live with, that situation because more more than likely in a situation where it's it's not a full crowd you have the confidence in them to make a field goal I don't think Carolina has any confidence in any of the kickers on their roster right now to make a field goal so that's that's all I have on that issue I might just uh text EJ these questions and then he could just go off and rant on these podcasts but EJ Chasseret he's an all-american talent and someone who most likely will go very early in the NFL draft. 
But if you believe in pro football focuses grading system, that's now back-to-back career-low grades for him. What have you seen offenses be able to do to kind of neutral neutralize the threat that Surratt is? I think just making him play in space and, and making him make those tackles. I mean, you, you see – I saw him on Saturday miss a lot of tackles on a lot of big plays that I think he would have made last year. I mean, you saw him miss a big sack. I mean, you saw him miss some wide open tackles. So I, I think that's what it is. So I don't I don't really know if it's necessarily offenses get, uh, are doing anything different or, or trying to target him in particular because I think that we have too much talent on that defense to be able to try to just neutralize one player like that. I think that there are a lot of opportunities that are coming his way that I just don't think that he's capitalizing on. I, I think his, his sack numbers could be way high if, if he makes 50% more of those plays in the backfield, his tackles for loss. And, and I think our defense looks a little bit differently if you have that catalyst. I mean, just kind of little callback. He, he could be the Arya Stark. He could be the guy that could step up. He makes one big play. I mean, then you have everybody else. You, you have Gimmel trying to make a play. You have Vohasic trying to make a play. You have the Fox brothers making plays. I mean, it, it's just kind of a trickle-down effect. And I think with some of the injuries that we've had and some of the departure that we had from our defenses from, from a leadership standpoint, I think that we need to see that from him. So I, I really don't know what it is. I think that he's just maybe in his head or overthinking some things or maybe he's so comfortable with the defense or maybe he's been been watching film so much that he knows what's going to happen. I think he's just a little bit too excited to get there. I mean, some of those plays, we, we have to have it. So I, I really don't think that it's anything offensively. I think it's, it's, it's the same thing I mentioned earlier. As a defensive unit, we can't handle a mobile quarterback. We can't handle a moving pocket. And, and, and the big plays are coming because of missed tackles, not anything schematically. I don't think there's a lot of – there are some blown coverages out there, but a lot of these things are, are, are missed tackles. So I think that he just needs to, to, to will himself to, to play better, to, to make some of those plays and capitalize on that, just as other players on our defense are doing. I don't think he's having a particularly bad season, but I do think he's playing below his, uh, his talent level. Yeah, he's always in the right spot, and it, it could be a situation where he's moving so well, so fast, that it's almost out of control because he – like you had mentioned, he was there in a couple of the situations. The The one that kind of jumps out to me is the one where he was coming off the edge and uh, the quarterback, Jordan Travis, kind of just spun away from him where mm-hmm. Surratt had him dead for a probably a six-yard loss, and instead it turns into Travis spinning out for a one of those Florida State explosive plays. And I know we've talked – Surratt had four missed tackles from – that game and that was one that was probably the biggest one and we've talked a lot about Carolina's tackling woes and every game this season they've missed double digit tackles it was 20 last week it was 14 this week if you're on this defensive staff how do you address this problem moving forward because like you mentioned DJ it's a problem that was here during Fedora it's here during Mac is it is it something that they just have to focus more on practice? Is it recruiting your way out of this? How does Carolina fix this tackling problem? You give everybody an under-Jersey cowboy collar like Tamari Fox because that dude looks like a bad mother with that thing on. Exactly, exactly. Second thing you do is you is the gut check thing, man. It's it's. I mean, you've had you've had two different coaching regimes teaching these, trying to teach these guys how to tackle, and none of it's sticking. It's a gut check thing, and and, it, and it's being in position. I, I really don't know what else you can do. I mean, I and I, I knew this was going to come up, so I was trying to think. But what could they do? I mean, I see them on the videos. They got the little tackling 
donuts or whatever they are that they ta- that they use. And we didn't have those. And I think that if you can tackle that thing while it's moving and you're moving, that's probably the best drill that you can do other than going out there and tackling somebody. So it's just the will to want to do it. I mean, Mike, and, and you know, it's, you know, I hate to do this as much as, as, as anybody else, but Greg Schiano had some great drills that we did towards tackling. Pete Carroll had some great drills that we did towards tackling. These coaches talk, they go to clinics, they use this money in the summertime to quote unquote, go to visit an NFL camp, which most of it I think is just going to hang out with buddies that you used to play with, but I can't blame them for that either. But I mean, it's, you find a drill, you stick with it, and you put importance on that drill. When when we were there and our defensive coaches saw that we were being sloppy and, and just our defensive run through just getting warmed up, we, we completely started the practice over. There have been times where we have been in season practice, but we have completely started the season over just because of something that's happened in the tackling drill. And I think that, that it needs to be that level of importance. I think that they need to see that their ability – they need to see in practice how – if you stop practice for them not doing that, how it can disrupt everyone else as far as the offense getting to their rhythm and getting into the meat of their practice and having to start this thing over and what it's going to feel like mentally to them. Because I don't care what, if you're 5-0, and if you're 0-5, restarting the practice sucks. You want to get in, you want to get out. No matter how much you love the game, you want to get in practice, you want to do your work, you want to be as close to perfect as you can, and you want to get out of there. Start practice over if the tackling drills aren't looking like you're supposed to. Show them that you – you on on game day when you're missing these tackles, you're disrupting the game. You're disrupting the defensive performance that we can be putting together. You, you're you're having the coaches adjust a scheme when it's really just a guy not doing what he's supposed to do, not tackling. The coach is saying, "Well, this is not working. They're beating us on this." Well, yeah, one person missed a tackle here, and the next play, it's a different person. So it, it's it's I think some it forced you to make coaching changes. So I think they need to see some disruption and there needs to be importance put on that. That's the only thing that's going to work. You can't tackling is not a thing that you can drill yourself out of. I mean, because I mean, you're seeing arm tackles, you're seeing guys just kind of being drug and out physical sometimes out there. So it's a gut check thing. It yeah, really I, wonder, is. I wonder how much of it can be tied to the player safety movement, because like you mentioned, they're out there and you could see them doing the tackling drills on these these rolling bags but there really isn't anything that can replicate going out and making a tackle in a game and it's not something you're going to want to put um the offensive player in a situation in your practice and you're not going to want to put the defensive player in a situation like that in practice where these guys have the potential to get hurt but then it's going it's it's something that's translating to Saturday where it looks like you know that this team is drilling tackling drills but when they go out there on Saturday it doesn't look like they have been working on it so there's definitely some kind of disconnect there and Mike the last question I have on the FSU game from my eyes Carolina looks significantly better in run blocking than they are in pass protection can you kind of just break down what's the reasoning for that because for me for me it seems like if you could block in the run you could block in the pass but there's again, there's there's a disconnect there. Well, there's a, there's a massive difference just from a general a general fundamentals thing. Um, at its at its most basic level, run blocking you're moving forward, which is natural, and pass blocking you're moving backwards, which is very unnatural. Um, and it's not a backpedal; it's a kick and a slide, and uh, you have no idea what's going on behind you. You only know what's going on in front of you. Pass protection is a very unnatural thing. 
um, it's, it's, it's much easier to be a high level athlete running forward full steam with your eyes on your target than it is to be an offensive lineman shuffling backwards with your back to, we'll call it your target, right? The, the person you're supposed to be protecting the quarterback. So it's a very unnatural kind of clunky thing when you really think about the way it all works out mechanically. Um, I will say this, I, I saw something extremely positive and everybody, anybody wants to pull it up. You can pull up the TV copy of the Florida state game. Uh, it's at the three thirty one mark in the first quarter. Watch the left guard and left tackle. I, I can't remember who the running back was, but I know we sprang it big. Uh, it looked like it was a gap scheme from the way their shoulders were turned. The double team on the three technique was absolutely clinic tape. Um, it was Asim Richards and uh, Josh Azudu. They put this kid, the three technique, on skates and took him straight up to their assignment, which was the middle linebacker on the double team. Um, literally the way you draw it up on a whiteboard. It doesn't ever really work that way because – one human being is trying to not be driven completely backwards seven yards into his own defensive backfield while you have two other human beings who are equally trying to force that player a direction he doesn't want to go. It just typically doesn't work the way that I saw it work uh, at the 331 mark. The technique for both of them was perfect. Um, Josh Azudu, his sh- and this is how I know it was most likely a gap scheme play, uh, his shoulders were square. Um, he had a great timing step. So his right step was his timing step. His second step was perfect right up the half of the three technique, right through his midline. Um, and it was a power step, right? So he power stepped right through the midline of that three technique, jacked him up. Asim Richards comes down perfectly square, goes hip to hip with a Zudu. And they both just in a perfect, in a perfect tandem came together right? And then just drove him completely vertically, not at an angle, but vertically. And the reason why you want to drive that double team vertically is for exactly what you'll see happened on the film. That middle linebacker, who is your assignment, when you get to the second level, that guard is coming off on that middle linebacker, unless the middle linebacker flows over top and then the tackle will come off, right? But it's typically designed for that inside blocker on the double team to come off. They took this dude straight vertical into that linebacker and that linebacker had nowhere to go and they created a natural wall neither Asim nor Josh had to get off on that middle linebacker it was absolutely beautiful and it should be on every clinic tape that Stacy Searles brings to any any clinic he's coaching at for the foreseeable future it was perfect textbook things like that are why they're succeeding in the run game why they're not succeeding in the pass game I'm seeing a lot of leaning in pass protection, meaning guys are getting their punch out over their feet. When you, when you lean on pass pro, I mean, you lunge forward trying to, trying, to, trying to deliver a blow to somebody with your hands, typically your hips will come up. And if your hips come up, your feet are going to stop. And if your feet stop, particularly against the type of athletes you're going to see in the ACC and most especially at a school like Florida State, if your feet stop, you're not going to be able to redirect and you're not going to be able to – uh, to stay with that guy, just plain and simple. He's going to out-athlete you. Those defensive linemen, EJ, here's some credit to you, are just better athletes than we are. Um, I, 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 I'm a, a staunch proponent of the idea that offensive linemen are the single most athletic human beings walking the face of the earth because there is nobody who should be 300-plus pounds that moves the way offensive linemen, especially Division I and pro levels, move. It's just not something that you should see. It's not something that should exist, right? Um, so I, I believe offensive, offensive linemen are some of the best athletes in the world, but the truth of the matter is that on a football field, 
in terms of football athleticism. Defensive linemen are just better athletes. That's why they're over there and they're not over on the O-line. It's just the way it goes. Um, our issues are simply, are, are, are for the most part, technique driven. The one thing I, that does trouble me a little bit is that we're continuing to miss assignments though. So I'm see, I, I, the, I'll, give you, I'll give you a positive here. I watched twist games because early in the season, we talked about all the trouble that our offensive line was having with twists. Carolina, for the most part, shut down most of the twists they saw against Florida State. Um, and Florida State tried to twist them a pretty good bit. And they didn't get home on most of those twist games. Where Florida State was getting home was twist plus one, meaning you're running double twists on both sides with a free backer, right, a blitzer. Carolina is getting gobbled up. And what we're not doing is we're not doing a good job of coming off of those twists to the blitz assignment, right? You're having, we're reading the twist. Now we're so focused on making sure we don't get beat on twists that we're now missing certain assignments. We're missing blitzers. We're getting free runners. Um, Florida State got a lot of pressure that way. Um, the, the, the other thing that we're, the other issue we're having from the tackle spot is our hips are opening up and our hips are dropping. So um, you, as, as a tackle, your, your, your hips should always try to be uh, parallel with the line of scrimmage at all times. When you get a speed rusher, you get a long, a long rusher. Um, like uh, what was it number? Was it number thirteen? The kid that had the pick six. That kid's like six seven, two hundred sixty five, two hundred seventy pounds. He's Quentin Copels, is what he is. He's Quentin Copels. Um, when that kid is able to get to your back shoulder, or he's able to get a step on you off the edge as a tackle. Really, the only thing you can do is bail. And when you bail, you're gonna have to drop that outside hip. So if I'm the left tackle, it's my left hip. I'm gonna have to drop my left foot, which is gonna open my left hip, which is gonna naturally shorten the corner. You're now in trouble because if a twist comes behind that, if he just, if he gave you a move and you bailed too early and now he goes back inside, you can't redirect. Okay. If a blitzer comes and say he now backs off because guy, I mean, this, this, this is a look Florida state gave it to us. Take a couple steps up field and then bail out into, into the flat into coverage, especially if you see appealing back, right? If you bail as a tackle, and then they, bring, they wrap around a Mike linebacker or they bring a rover through, um, a nickelback, right through that gap where that defensive end just was. You cannot redirect and get that kid inside. It's, it's over. They've won. Um, our tackles are bailing more frequently than I would like to see. Um, I'm seeing our, 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 we're lunging in a lot of our punches, which is stopping our feet. We're not able to redirect. And we're just generally missing some assignments in the past game. Um, I think there has been a clear emphasis in individual drills. And in practice on the run game, um, maybe there was a hope that the pass game would just come natural to these guys because we throw the ball so much and they would just figure it out as time went on. Um, but something's not working there. There, there. there are concerns in the pass game, not nearly as many as I think people, people want to point fingers at the offensive line for. I think a lot of Sam's issues last night were because he held on to the ball too long. Give credit to Florida State secondary or, you know, criticize our receivers for not getting separation or criticize Sam for not getting the ball out of his hands and trying to force things. But I think a lot of the, a lot of his pressure and a lot of his troubles last night were either pressure driven or just holding onto the ball too long um, or co excuse me, coverage driven or just holding onto the ball too long. It wasn't necessarily the offensive lion's fault in most instances last night from what I saw. Yeah. I think it also doesn't help that Carolina's offense became so one-dimensional at the end of the game where a team like Florida State is just pinning their ears back, getting creative with how they're trying to get after Sam because they know you're so far behind, you're, you're not going to run it as much 
as you would like. So maybe a more balanced attack and you would see um, Carolina have um, basically just more respect for teams um, not being able to come after Sam with their head, with their uh, hair on fire. Well, but, so here's the thing. Here's the thing to, I, let me, let me push back on you a little bit. I think Carolina should have become more one dimensional than they really were last night. This is my point about having to get into a two minute drill mm. or even a modified four minute offense earlier in the game. I don't think they did become one dimensional at the point that they should have been yeah. right. I mean, we talk about teams become one dimensional and that's a bad thing, right? But it's not always a bad thing. Yeah. Again, you got a quarterback who threw, 38 touchdowns last year and almost a handful of interceptions. The kid's a stud. Let him throw the ball. And we just didn't do that. We were one-dimensional early in the game in terms of running the ball. And we were dominating running the ball until we got anywhere near the red zone. Until we were in that green zone area, right, the 25 to the 35, um, or the 20 to the 35, that we had – We had nothing but success up to that point. We were in Florida State territory most of the night, especially in the first half, running the ball. Once we got into that green zone and down in towards the red zone, we we couldn't move the ball any longer. Um, That's where being one-dimensional in the run game hurt us. Um, But we didn't we didn't use the run to set up the pass. We didn't use the pass to set up the run the way that we should have. We we stuck with like you and you you caught on to it early tonight in the podcast. We stuck on with a game plan and we're inflexible with that game plan. Um, for much of the game, but I just, I don't, I, I actually, my position is I don't think we got one dimensional in terms of throwing the ball early enough. Um, yeah. there, there was a panic. There was a point to hit the panic button, right? Which this team can handle, right? The panic button is let's start airing this thing out and scoring some points. We are totally capable of doing that. I don't think we did that early enough. Yeah. First loss of the season. EJ, how do you think North Carolina responds to playing NC State in a, a huge game coming up this weekend in Chapel Hill, who, like Florida State, is a team that is going to be hungry looking for a signature win? Um, it's hate week. I mean, I, I think that kind of sums it up in one statement. I mean, you have to be – I don't think there's much that needs to be said in the locker room. Um, there's not much love lost between – uh, these teams, these athletic programs, these universities, or these alumni bases, as I see on a day-to-day basis in my basis in my profession. But I mean, I think they bounce back well. I mean, I, I think that this is gonna—they're gonna be in a way more comfortable environment. I think things are gonna be a little bit normal. Maybe that uh, terrible hotel they stayed in that Mike mentioned had something to do with it. But I do think the guys are gonna snap out of it. I think they realize the importance of this uh, of this game. I mean, it's an ACC game. It's a chance to to still stay in the race for the ACC championship, which is always the ultimate goal at the beginning of the season. So. Um, I don't think that they're going to have a problem bouncing back. Um, I think these guys are going to look at the tape. Um, they're going to improve. They're going to find a way to cut down on these big plays. They're going to find a way to, to handle quarterback when he tries to move and, and, and find a way to do something about their trouble that they seem to be having with three by one formations and when the pocket moves. So I'm, I'm an optimist as, as, as Mike knows, he, he likes to play the pessimist of, uh, between us two, but I'm an optimist. I do think these guys are going to get better. And, and, and like I said, I, I, I'm not hanging my head too low about this defensive performance other than, as you mentioned, the 11 plays over 15 yards. And I think theoretically those are easy to, to, to take away. I wanted to make sure I put a disclaimer on that before I had people out here thinking that, Oh, they're going to come out and be great next week. I mean, in theory, they should be able to go in and correct some of those mistakes, uh, fine-tune some of those things. And like I said, I think we need a, go ch- a gut check from the, the coaching staff to the players 
And honestly, honestly, I think it should come from a player, a leader. I think Chaz needs to to get these guys together. Chaz or Jeremiah get these guys together and say, hey, we're going out here and basically embarrassing ourselves. As Mike said, our defensive unit is having problem doing defense, and that's never a good thing. So um, I, I think that they fine-tune those things, clean it up, and, and I think we have a great performance against that school in Raleigh. Mike, like EJ mentioned, it's hate week. Carolina is currently an 18-point favorite in this game against NC State. It's a, it's a matchup where if you're just looking at last year's results, it feels like a changing of the guard between these two teams in this series, but it, it's still a rivalry. NC State looks significantly better than I think most people would have expected them to look. They're sitting at 4-1 and one right now. How do you think Carolina responds against this NC State team who is – like I mentioned before, like Florida State, they're going to be hungry for a signature win. Well, I just hope Carolina's not shell-shocked from what happened against, against FSU. Um, and I think State saw the blueprint. Come out and bully Carolina, take shots at Sam, get him emotional, um, you know, and, and, and try, to, try, to, try to make us hunker down and double down on our game plan and make us inflexible, um, make us be stubborn. I think that's – you know, that, that's, that's the game plan now. That's the blueprint to beat in Carolina. And NC State sees that. That's on film. And we're going to have to do everything in our power to correct that, um, correct that perception, correct the things that we did wrong. EJ touched on it. Um, you know, t- tackling is an issue. Coverage is an issue. Getting home on a four-man rush is an issue on defense. On the offensive side of the ball, it's deep shots. Um, De'Ami Brown can't be our only threat. Catching the football is a problem. Um, we can't have three of our best players drop balls that would have at the very least given us first downs. Bo Corrales catches that one down the sideline. We're on the three-yard line, and we're winning that football game. Um, I just don't see how we're not scoring a touchdown there. Our best players, our most reliable, experienced players, can't be making mistakes like that. Those are physical mistakes that they are better than. Um, so NC State's going to come out. 18-point uh, favorite is irrelevant, just like 13-and-a-half-point favorite FSU is irrelevant night game on national television in prime time, right? It's just it's, those things are irrelevant. NC State's a rivalry game. Um, you know, it's big brother versus little brother. Depending on what school you go to, you know, you consider yourself the big brother. Um, so there's, the, this rivalry is going – the fact that it's a rivalry game and all the bad blood that's between these two teams generally, factoring in the, the, the reality that we just blew the doors off of them last year – NC State's going to come in. That 18 points is, is nothing. They have looked better. They have an issue at quarterback. Um, that's one thing that, that you know, the, the IC guys will get into this week. Um, they, they have an issue at quarterback. They are not the same team this week. That is the team that's gone four and one. Um, they, they do look different with this backup in. They are a little, little less effective on the offensive side of the ball. But, again, they're going to come out and try to bully Carolina, bloody their nose, beat us at home. Um, and Carolina's got to do everything in their power to avoid a second letdown game because that's what this is. But if they take care of the things that they know they can do, catch the ball, hit your assignments, understand what you're seeing before it happens, um, and don't let the emotions that are going to be a part of this game take over early and get you out of your rhythm, Carolina should, should walk away with a pretty easy win. But, uh, again, with this game, nothing ever comes easy. Carolina losing a game they – Probably should have won easily. I think we could all agree on that. No time to feel sorry for themselves. Tar Heels back in action in Chapel Hill. It's a noon kickoff against the team from Raleigh. Don't need to mention their name anymore. 
But Mike, EJ, thank you guys so much for taking the time and talking with me. Looking forward to breaking down uh, the Raleigh the Raleigh game next week. Sounds good, man. Thanks, Seth. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.